The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Vetter, Scott Eklund. It's go time. It's game day. 5.45 kickoff in Seattle, 7.45 in, in NOLA in New Orleans. And it's been building day by day. I've been down here since I had the red eye out on Christmas night and got here early uh, on the 26th. And I've been here ever since. And just every day, it just seems like more and more people are coming in, uh, more media, more fans. You're seeing more purple. You're seeing more burn orange. And you're seeing more setups outside the New Year's Eve parade. So uh, my buddy came in last night on the Alaska Airlines flight and his, he, it was, sounds like it was 99% UW fans and the captain started uh, the cheering on the flights and then uh, he said that they uh, ended that, they capped it off by ordering around for the entire uh, entire flight. So everybody got a free drink on Alaska Airlines on the flight down yesterday, which I uh, thought was pretty cool. So Again, we're just starting to see more and more influx of Husky fans and Texas fans. And it hasn't been, you know, you guys, and you can probably tell just on the outside, but I'm not seeing a lot of trash talk or disrespect, you know, from the fan base. Not like when uh, you play both of these teams and both of these fan bases have a mutual respect for each other. Yeah, yeah. they definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what you said at the end there because you cut out, Kim, but. Um, yeah, I think to be honest with you, I think it's just been confidence from both fan bases. I, I don't think it's been a lot of, especially from the Washington fan base. I mean, they're not going to say Texas shouldn't belong there. I mean, that'd just be dumb, but, um, from the Texas fan base, I think they're obviously, if they're not cautiously optimistic, they're just optimistic that they have the speed, they have the horses, they have the size, especially up front on the offensive and defensive lines to get the job done. So I think they've got obviously plenty of reasons to be excited about tonight's game. What are you seeing out there, Scott? Well, you know, I've actually just been over on um, several um, message boards, like the Ohio state message board, the um, even the Michigan message board, Michigan state, I, you know, I've, and I've gone to Oregon, Oregon state, USC board and everybody, you know, a lot of the, the rivals out here, especially I wouldn't expect anything less from Oregon because I would, wouldn't expect less from Washington fans if Oregon was in the same spot. But, um, you know, they're like, you know, Washington's going to get run out of the run out of the, you know, off the field by by Texas and everything like that. And they're too big and Washington can't handle it. But most everybody seems to think that, <clears throat> you know, that that doesn't have an absolute hate for Washington. Most everybody has respect for what Washington did this year. They think Washington's offense is pretty dang explosive, but they also have fallen into what a lot of people, a lot of national pundits and, and analysts think about what Washington and Texas's matchup is going to come down to. And it's going to come down to the offensive and defensive lines. And they feel that just Texas is going to be too physical for Washington. Well, guess what? 
everybody thought Oregon was too physical for Washington and Washington handled that. So um, I think a lot of people have respect for what Washington's done, but they still think Texas is the better team. Hey, Chris, just down here getting a chance to talk to Quint uh, Ewers a little bit. He seemed pretty mild mannered, pretty low key. Um Going against this Washington defense, he's definitely got some weapons, especially with Xavier Worthy out there. But it sounds like Xavier Worthy's not 100%. Well, you, we talked a little bit about this earlier this week. You you saw him walking around. You talked to him a little bit. It didn't look like he was limping around or didn't look like he – I mean, let's put it this way. If you just saw him walking around, things like that, would you have thought that he was less than 100%? No, but that doesn't mean, you know, he is 100% on his cuts. It doesn't mean he's 100% on his hamstrings, you know, running full speed. But, yes, I said a little bit earlier this week, he was a little bit bigger than I anticipated. He's six foot six one. I didn't uh, – I don't remember him being that big. So he's a little bit bigger than I anticipated. But, you know, going against this Washington defense and – the thing that scares me about this um, Texas offense is Washington a lot of the time has had an inability to stop people on third down. Yeah, no, that's true. And and it starts up front for Texas. I mean, they've got four offensive linemen that have at least 25 career starts, including their uh, center, Jake Majors, who's actually started 40 straight games for Texas. So, you know, I mean, they've, they've got a really good line on their own. If I remember correctly, Scott, you can correct me, but – I think weren't they a finalist for the Joe Moore Award, the the award that Washington won? Uh, I think they were, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, it's not like it's not like Washington's defense is going to be going up against Swiss cheese up front. I mean, these guys are experienced and they're big, and they've been playing really, really well together, especially the last few games where basically they just haven't been stopped on offense. So you've got to look at that matchup first, and it really underscores just how important a guy like Tule Latui Gasanoa is up front to try to help kind of stem whatever Texas is going to try to do uh, running the ball in, in terms of, you know, they're not going to have, um, they're not going to have their main guy, Jonathan, um, who is it? Um, can't remember his name now, uh, Jonathan Brooks, but they're going to, but they're going to have Baxter. They're going to have uh, blue. They're going to have some of those guys. They're going to help try to, mix things up and give Quinn Ewers enough opportunity so that he can take some deep shots off the yeah. play action to guys like Xavier Worthy. Yeah. Hey, Scott, I don't know if you read Chip Brown. Chip Brown, uh, one of the best people out there. He runs the uh, Texas site on 24-7 Sports. But Chip wrote yesterday that <clears throat> they should just throw the ball at number 25, Elijah Jackson, until Washington makes some adjustments. Well, I mean, you don't want to throw if, – if you're an opposing offense, why are you throwing it at Muhammad? You know, I mean, Jabbar Muhammad has been basically a shutdown guy and, you know, he's he's looked outstanding the last half of the season. And and, you know, basically, I mean, I I know he had played really well up until the Oregon State game. But that Oregon State game was when he served notice that I'm one of the best cover corners, not only in the in this, you know, this conference, but in the country. And he's proven that over the last few weeks after the Oregon State game. And, you know, I. I would throw at Elijah Jackson. We've seen some breakdowns from Elijah throughout the season. We've seen some flashes of really good play on his part. But Adonai uh, Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell, I mean, that guy's a big physical wide receiver who, am I correct, he has a chance to win his third straight national title. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, he was at Georgia. So, yeah. Yeah, he was at Georgia. So this is his chance to win three straight national titles. 
So um, that he's a talented, talented guy. And for Texas to be able to put him opposite Xavier Worthy, and then you throw it to Jatavian Sanders in the middle, Washington's got a lot on their plate when it comes to covering that group. And then let's say you drop seven into co- seven or eight into coverage. Uh, they're just going to hand the ball off to their three-headed monster that they have going uh, there there for them. So, I mean, it's it's a real tough task for what William Inge and Chuck Morrell have to scheme for and and call this this is you know in this game and and I think it's really going to come down to can Washington make them one dimensional if they yeah. can make them one dimensional and that's not easy to do they can make them one dimensional they got a chance to get some their hands on some passes yeah Chris when I I think it was the Arizona State game if I recall <clears throat> correctly but they were abusing Jabbar Muhammad just posting up the bigger receivers on him yeah Elijah Badger did yeah well yeah and Ad Mitchell six four. So, you know, that's the guy that you would think they would want to target against Jabbar Muhammad if that's if that's kind of what their game plan is. Just throw up the fades, throw up the 50-50 balls and let the guy who's 6'4 go up against the guy who's 5'9. That, that, that seems like that would be the game plan, right? You would think, like I said, you know, that was a game where I, I think that we saw um, the holes in Jabbar Muhammad's game where he was, you know, really struggling against the larger receivers. But, Scott, you mentioned that three-headed monster at, at running back. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I mean, so their their top guy, like Chris mentioned, um, you know, went out. But they've got C.J. Baxter, who's a really good running back. They've got Keelan running uh, Robinson, who took over in the uh, Big 12 championship game. And then Jaden Blue is a guy that a lot of people didn't even know about uh, heading into the season. And all of a sudden, he's the, he's their fourth running back, and he's their third best running back as far as totals are concerned. 56 carries, 339 yards, and uh, two touchdowns. But, you know, Jonathan Brooks is a dynamic runner, and, and for him to be out of the, the lineup, a lot of people thought that was really going to hurt Texas. But they haven't seemed to miss a beat. They just instead of one guy getting the getting all the carries, it's it's uh, you know it's split between Baxter, Blue, and Robinson, with Baxter being the main guy. And Chris, what I think is going to be huge too is getting this extra time off and letting the bodies heal. Specifically, um, Asa Turner with the big club that he played with on his hand against Oregon. <clears throat> it was the size of a probably the size of the football, what he had on his hand. And also, you know, uh, Tuli Latula Gasanoa could probably use the time off as well. But this is a really good chance for some of the guys on the defensive side of the ball to get healed and get their bodies back being right. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And we talked about Xavier Worthy and getting banged up in the, in the big 12 championship game, having him have a month to basically get better and, and try to heal his ankle. Well, Washington certainly has got those guys. You mentioned Asa Turner. You mentioned Thule. There There's going to be guys out there. I mean, Cam Fab just came back the last couple of games of the season. He It's clearly time's going to really help him a lot. And just in general, even for the guys that were stalwarts in that defense, whether you're talking about a Braylon Trice or a Zion Tupola Fatui or, you know, guys like Edifuan uh, Ulufoshio, or um, Alfonso Tupatala, uh, Jamar Muhammad, Elijah Jackson, all the guys that, that kind of played most of the year, all those guys are going to be banged up to a certain extent anyway. So getting three weeks to heal up and really kind of get the body refreshed and, and, and ready to go for this game is, is going to be huge. It's going to be huge, honestly, for both teams. Yeah, and Scott, defensive, on the defensive side of the ball, it just seemed like the um, 
there weren't a ton of injuries on the defensive side of the ball, which were long-term. The only uh, a long-term injury for the season was Mateo Mele on the offensive side of the ball, but the defensive side of the ball has maintained their health pretty well this year. Well, yeah, I mean, you had Ace Turner and Cam Fabi Kulanen who both missed a lot of time, but for the most part, yeah, Kim, you're right. There, there hasn't been, you know, those long-term injuries, but you know, Thule was limited uh, for a few weeks and um, he showed his worth definitely as things kind of progressed um, during the season, especially during the Oregon state game. He was absolutely huge stopping that potent Oregon state running game and, and uh, I, he helped with Utah a little bit, too. But, you know, the, the last two weeks, you know, against Washington State and then against Oregon in, in, the, in the game in the, in the uh, conference title game. I mean, he uh, he was huge. He was a big reason why uh, I think Oregon put up what less than like 50 yards on the ground. Right. A- aside from the one long run by uh, Bo Nix, you know, there, that was a game where the running backs just did nothing. And that's what Washington's going to need again, because Oregon's offensive line and Texas's offensive line are are comparable. Texas is better, but Oregon's offensive line wasn't that bad. And they just they couldn't do anything against Washington. And, and it, it really helped that Washington got off to that fast start. And one thing I've heard some people talk about is if uh, it, it, depending on who wins the, the uh, opening uh, coin flip, um, Joel Clapp basically thought that either one, depending on no matter who wins the coin toss, should take the ball because these offenses are so potent that they want to get out to that fast start. Yeah, yeah I agree. Chris, when you start looking at the rotations where Washington starts substituting, you know, the defensive line, you're always going to have guys shuttle in, shuttle out, depending on the situation. But you've got. Uh, Dominique Hampton playing the Husky. You're going to have Asa Turner. I'm sure you're going to see Cam Fab rotated in there. Elijah Jackson. I, th- I think you're going to see that spot, see some rotation as well, as well as the linebackers. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because we've seen situations this year where they've played Michelle Powell back at safety. We've seen situations where they've even put Jabbar Muhammad in the Husky in the slot corner. So they they have versatility to move these guys around. And again, one of the Uh, key benefits from having so much time off and not just being able to heal, but allowing those guys to also get enough of those bodies in there where they can be multiple and versatile at the same time, which is going to be huge. So when you do rotate some of those guys, because one of the real facets of the defense that's been run by William Inge and Chuck Morrell, and you guys know this, is that when they get into those third and long, those kind of clear passing situations, then they basically run like all their edges in. And a guy like Voitanufi ends up being like playing at the nose. And so they have a lot of versatility there, too. And now you add in a body like, you know, the Chuck Norris of Washington football, Zach Durfee. Who knows what Zach Durfee is going to do if they get into a third and long situation? Are they going to try to play him in the middle? Or are they going to try to play him as another edge guy to match up again with Braylon Trice and ZTF to see what they can do as a trio? Um, there's a lot of versatility there. And getting that time off and getting the bodies healthy and getting everyone together on the same page is going to be huge because I think having that kind of versatility, guys, is going to be really interesting against a really explosive Texas offense. Hey, Scott, um, on the Texas coaching staff, you've got Jeff Choate as well as Pete Kwiatkowski, who knows Scott uh, Scott Huff really, really well. But Scott Huff, it, you know, where's the advantage? Those guys knowing what Scott Huff does 
or Scott Huff, knowing what those guys do. Do you think there's an, a little bit of an edge insider wise either way? I, I honestly no. I mean, it, it isn't anything that they can't discover on on on, uh, you know, game film and, and t- study and all that different stuff. But, you know, I think if, if there's any advantage, it's probably Huff knowing what Kwiatkowski and and uh, Choate want to do along that uh, that defensive front. Um, because maybe Scott Huff knows, hey, uh, you know, this is uh, Kowski PK's, uh, you know, tendency is is to drop back in, in situations like this rather than send a blitz. And so we maybe we don't look for a blitz in this situation. Maybe we look for a for something else and, and you know, stuff like that. But um, I, you know, I think a lot of it's just going to come down to game film study and and i mean ryan grubb is the one who calls the plays scott huff does his things but you know when it comes to what washington ends up doing with their motions and stuff like that i think that's really a bigger key than what scott huff does and how he coaches his guys hey kim i have have a couple things on this too first of all i think a lot of fans both on texas and washington would probably just say well wouldn't they just go back and look at the game film of the alamo bowl and just you know go back and, and look at that and say okay well this is the the personnel hasn't really changed all that much. And so Washington's probably got a great idea of what Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy and Sorrell and some of those other guys along the line, what they're going to do. And then conversely, the Texas guys are going to know what the Washington guys are going to be doing because all the skill guys came back and what have you. What the interesting matchup's going to be, and I think even Jeff Choate talked about this with you, is that the interior three for Washington are completely different than they were last year. You know, and so instead of having Jackson Kirkland, Corey Luciano, and Henry Bainavalu, now you've got Nate Kalepo, Parker Brailsford, and Julius Bulow. And so the Texas guys only have this year's worth of film, whereas Scott Huff can not only go back and look at that game and look at whatever they were doing last year in terms of what Texas's defensive line does, but now he's got all the 2023 tape as well because the personnel really hasn't changed all that much. Yeah, you know, so when you take a look at that uh, Texas front seven, uh, that's what everybody's talking about. And the secondary maybe being their weak, weak link ranking number 94 in the, in the country. But I think, Scott, sometimes those statistics can be deceiving where their defense might be giving up a lot more passing yards because they've been ahead the whole year. And some of the early games where you're, you know, you're Teams are constantly playing from behind and having to pass the ball. I think sometimes those numbers get skewed. Yeah, they they can. It, it, you know, a lot of it's just you know you need to look at it situationally and you got to have it have it in context and everything like that. But uh, you know, aside from that, you know, you, you just got to you know deal with the fact that um, you know there, there's going to be things that we don't really see and and not sure. You know, when you just look at the stats, they can tell you one thing. And, and like Chris Peterson said, stats are for losers at times. You know, if you if you just rely on the stats rather than knowing the context of why things happen and what they were doing, that that's when that'll that can get you in trouble. I don't see the coaches doing that, but that that can be the case. Yeah, it's just like the Michigan State game. Washington was well ahead and they're putting in a lot of their reserves. The Michigan State ran up a lot of yards uh, against the reserves and the same in the uh, first couple of games when the second and third third teams were running in but um 
you know, what's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. I was more concerned earlier in the week than I am now is those two big interior tackles. But it seems like I think Washington's going to have a pretty good game plan again against Sam Chris, because I, I honestly think what they're going to do is I think Washington's going to come out and throw the ball a lot. And then they'll run the ball a little bit later in the game when those guys are a little bit not as fresh. I think there's an aspect of, of that that's in play, too, Kim. And I'd also go back and say not only did Texas also kind of been so far ahead that teams had to throw the ball a lot, but I think Texas also did a really good job of just shutting the other team's run game out completely. I mean, there's only one game where uh, Texas gave up more than 200 yards on the ground, and that was the Oklahoma game. And I think a lot of Washington fans are saying, well, to win this game today, we've got to follow the Oklahoma blueprint. We got to balance the pass and the run. We've got to be able to to make those key plays. We've got to be able to do some of those other things that Oklahoma was able to have success with. And so I think there's that too. But yeah, really, when it comes down to it, I think tempo is going to be really key in this game today, because I think Washington isn't really a high tempo team. Like they're just not going to try to tempo teams to death. But what Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb and the offensive coaches have said all year long, and you guys know this, they want to use tempo to their advantage. And sometimes that means going up tempo a little bit and then shifting gears a little bit, slowing it down, and then going back tempo a little bit just to try to get that little edge here and there. I think the reason they'll run tempo a little bit more today is because they want to get both Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat on skates they want to get those guys running not just sideline to sideline but everywhere on yeah, every just, down yeah it just seems like what the, what washington has done and i i think they're going to do it today as well is if they have a chunk play where those big linemen have had to run uh quite a bit on one specific play that's typically when they would run tempo and i expect them if they can get um, you know, a fly sweep with 20 yard uh, fly sweep that expect them to get up to the line of scrimmage, not only to tempo, but not to allow them to uh, bring in defensive substitutions. And I think that's where you're going to see the tempo, Chris. Yeah. And I think staying keeping with the same receiver core, you know, having the, the situation where Rome and, and, and both Jalen's are in there pretty much all the time to not allow those subs, I think is another key that, that we should look at today to see what happens. But yes, I mean, taking advantage of those types of opportunities is key. And I think people will realize that pretty much during the course of the year, when they have tried to switch gears a little bit and use some up-tempo, it hasn't really been like super successful for them. But I think in this case, over the course of the game, like if they start doing it early and they're very, you know, not consistent, but if they find their moments to really try to, to, to get these guys on skates and get these guys gassed a little bit here and there, I think by the four, by the fourth quarter, that's something where even in the micro, if the if the up tempo didn't necessarily pay dividends on that next down or that previous down, I think over time in the fourth quarter, that's when it will show up. And that's where I think Washington, if they've got the lead or, um, you know, if it's a tie game, you know, in the fourth quarter is when you're going to see the running game emerge for Washington. Yeah, yeah and it's I, been that way. Him. Yeah, it's it's been that way. I mean. We've seen not only Dylan Johnson get stronger and stronger as the years gone on, but I think over the course of, of, of each particular game, the, the Washington offensive line has continued to get stronger in the run game. And that's allowed Dylan Johnson to continue to use kind of his bruising and battling um, mentality and physicality to eventually kind of break teams down in the fourth quarter. 
And Scott, we've seen this all year long. Washington has gone into some places where uh, Utah defense was supposed to be outstanding and the offense would struggle against Utah in the Oregon game, Oregon's vaunted defense and Oregon's vaunted defense again in the uh, championship football game. But when you take a look at the defenses, well, first of all, just real quick, just don't explain which uh, which defense do you think is better, Oregon or Texas? Well, who's the oh, who's the D.C.'s? Tosh yeah. Lapoy versus yeah. Pete Kwiatkowski? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I have nothing against Tosh Lapoy as a person. I just don't think he's that good of a D.C. I think, yeah. Pete, I think Texas defense is much better. Yeah. One, thing, one thing I'd add real quick, guys, when you look at scoring defense statistically in terms of in the entire NCAA, Oregon and Texas are literally 11th and 12th in total scoring defense. Oregon is at 17.3 points per game. Texas is at 17.5. So even though I I think Scott's 100% correct, I agree totally in terms of the the coaching aspect of of each defense. I think there's probably some decent comparisons that can be made between Texas and Oregon defensively. Scott, getting back to it, you know, when you talk about the defenses that people thought Washington would struggle against, you know, the only game that they really struggled on offense was probably the Arizona State game and, you know, maybe the Stanford game a little bit. And that was that two week period where they were just ravaged by the flu, if not COVID, where guys weren't practicing because they had to stay away from other guys. So uh, I think those are the only two times that Washington's offense has really struggled. And, you know, you take these national people and the people who cover football, they all expected Washington to struggle against those defenses. And they didn't. And I'm hearing some of the same stuff where, you know, comparing Texas defense isn't what Washington has faced so far this year. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I mean, Washington so far, I mean, you, you look at Byron Murphy, you look, look at Tiandre, Tivondre Sweat, and Washington has not faced two defensive linemen like that yet this year. Maybe they faced one that's like those guys, but not two on the same team and at the exact same time. But that being said, Washington has handled the big physical defensive line, like you said, Kim, with Utah, also with Oregon twice. I mean, Brandon Dorless is going to be a if he's not a you know first rounder, he's a he's a you know early second day guy. I mean, he's a big physical guy who can run. Who's the guy who got uh, that they got um, the edge guy that they brought in that was like six five and two hundred eighty five pounds, and they got an edge guy like that 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 was their top sack guy oh, and, Jordan Birch. Yeah. Jordan Birch. And I mean, th- those are two really talented guys that Washington had to face and deal with. So um, I, I think Washington, it, look, I get it. You look at Tavondre sweat, you look at uh, you look at Parker Brailsford going up against each other. Does anyone really think that they're going to make Parker Brailsford block Tavondre sweat by himself? No, I mean, come on, that's going to be yeah. Bulow double teaming that's going to be um uh Nate Kalepo double teaming with him it's not they're not dumb enough to do that and and besides that Parker Brailsford from everything I've heard is technically and and from a technique standpoint and all that different stuff he is he he is elite when it comes to the way he uses leverage so um I'm not saying he's going to dominate Tavondre Sweat I don't think anybody's dominated him and that's why he won the Outland Trophy this year but I, I just I really think that people are discounting that Washington can scheme not to allow Brailsford to have to face that guy one on one. And Chris, the Utah game, you know, they've got they had an edge that, you know, would put up big numbers and his name didn't get mentioned much in that game. Oh, yeah. Ellis. No, Ellis, for sure. They shut him down. And and that's the thing. It's it, Texas's edges are good. 
but they aren't they aren't necessarily different than what Washington has faced, which kind of goes to Scott's point. Uh, Sweat and Murphy together are going to be combining to be a little different than what Washington's seen all year long. But ultimately, yeah, it, it comes down to, you know, as a whole, because if you break it down schematically, you're expecting Washington's middle three to handle those two. So you've got a three on two situation. So if they're, you know, depending on what kind of games they're going to run and things like that. Um, and so that leaves basically Troy Fautanu and Roger Rosengarten out on an island with Dylan Johnson to be able to pass protect at times. And I think we saw, especially in that Pac-12 championship game, guys, Dylan Johnson's pass protection was almost as important as his running. And mm-hmm. what they were able to do is they were able to take advantage of Tosh Lapoy's aggressiveness and his want to blitz and try to create havoc to Michael Penix. And they were able to take shots over the top because of that. What I want to find hey, Chris, out tonight. Hey, Chris, real quick. You always said last year that you thought that Wayne Talapapa was the best running back for blocking and pass pro that you'd seen. How does Dylan Johnson compare to Wayne Talapapa? Well, no, he's, he's right there, but I'd say all of them are very comparable to some of the other guys we've seen, whether it was a, uh, LeVon Coleman, uh, Miles Gaskin, uh, even Savon Ahmed got better and better as 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 his career went on. But both, bottom but bottom line, guys, is that at some point we're going to have to figure out tonight is PK going to be as aggressive as Tosh Lapoy in trying to heat up Michael Penix, and if he does, can the Washington front hold up and make him pay for making those decisions? Yeah, yeah. The um, the other thing that I think is going to be key on offense too. You got all your wide receivers back. <clears throat> You've got your three with Polk, Odunzi, and um, McMillan. McMillan's 100%. And then guy we haven't seen much, but has made some real key plays in the four games he's played in. You've got Giles Jackson. You've got Jeremy Bernard, which I think Jeremy's going to get the ball a couple of times on some fly sweeps, as well as Denzel Boston. They've got their full complement of the wide receivers back. They do. And a big key is really going to be Michael uh, Penix being patient. And not trying to go over the top. Now that he's got all of his guys, it's going to be real hard for Texas to to double up and bracket guys. But early on, Pete Kwiatkowski loves that two deep zone. That's what he loves to run. He doesn't like anything getting over the top of him. And he wants to keep everything in front. Well, Washington is used to that explosive play. They really like to hit those explosive plays. And um, so Penix is going to have to be patient and pick and choose his spots. And when he gets a, guy, a chance to take a shot, he needs to make it make it count. And um, I I think with the rest, I think with the fact that all three guys are in the are back and 100 percent healthy. And you throw in a Jeremy Bernard, who I think a lot of people are underrating that guy. You If you OK, so you're Texas, you, you D up Washington's top three guys. Now you got to deal with a guy who can run like a running back. Once he gets the ball in his hands. I mean, that guy is physical as a wide receiver. I'm not saying he's Debo Samuel, but he's got that kind of a game where yeah. where, you know, you get him the a, a ball on a short pass or on a or on a sweep or something like that. And you just let him go to town and, and make moves in the open field, but also be physical with guys. And and that's what I want to see from Washington is not only taking advantage of what they can do with their top three guys who everybody thinks about, but. Also getting something for Jeremy Bernard, who I think could be a difference maker for the Husky defense or Husky offense. Hey, Chris, give me a key matchup uh, uh, defensively for uh, Texas. What do you think the key matchup is for Texas? 
Well, I think one of the things that we learned a little bit and, and we learned this week because of, of the the brotherly connection is the connection between Jabbar Muhammad and his brother, the true freshman, Texas DB Malik Muhammad. And Malik actually started the Big 12 championship game. So is Washington now, do they spot an opening? Is Malik Muhammad going to start the game tonight as a true freshman at corner? Is that something that they can exploit? Because I know everyone's talking about the, you know, they've lost their their safety, one of their safeties for the first half of the game because he got uh, targeting and he got ejected from the Big 12 championship game. So he misses the first half of tonight's game. What can they exploit that? I see that. But also with Malik Muhammad starting the game against Oklahoma State, does that mean that he starts tonight against one of these receivers? And whether it's a Dunze, McMillan, Polk, whoever, is that a guy that they can heat up a little bit because of his inexperience? I mean, he's a true freshman. I mean, that's that tells you one thing about how talented Texas is for starters, right? That they're starting guys that are true freshmen in a game of this magnitude, potentially. But the other thing is, is that there's there's never uh, you can't substitute experience. And two- these, these guys should have an opportunity to maybe take advantage of that if he starts. Give me give me a key matchup, Scott. Well, I, you know, their their leading tackler is Jalen Ford, the linebacker, and, you know, 91 tackles. He doesn't get in and get a lot of penetration, but, he, you know, 91 tackles, a couple pass breakups and an interception. I think if you can get Dylan Johnson or, um, you know, maybe one of the other running backs um, isolated on him or, or even get um, Jeremy Bernard, you know, line him up in the backfield and make Jalen Ford cover Jeremy Bernard. I think that's going to be big for Washington to be able to make some yards and make some big plays. And for Texas, it's going to be Jalen Ford being able to be that tackle guy who who doesn't uh, have to take on, you know, blockers at the, you know, the offensive lineman getting to the next level because he's got Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat in front of him. And so I think that's going to be huge for, for – uh, Texas in order to keep um, Washington's offensive line off of Jalen Ford and let Jalen Ford kind of do his thing. Yeah. And and the key matchup that I'm really looking forward to is the Texas linebackers, because I think that they're going to pay a lot of attention to those three Washington wide receivers. And I think there's going to be some real opportunities with the, the tight end screens over the middle. And Dylan Johnson hasn't had as many passes thrown to him this year as I anticipated. I wouldn't be surprised to see more throws to Dylan Johnson out of the backfield to try to suck those guys up to open things up deep. But, you know, like I said, Scott or Chris, I was expecting Dylan Johnson to catch the ball a lot more this year, and I think this might be the game where we see that. Yeah, it's all been rope-a-dope, Kim. 13 <laughs> straight games. You joke about that, Scott, but there may be something to that, and, and here's the yeah. reason why I say that. Let's go back to the Pac-12 championship game. We've talked ad nauseum all season long about all the skill positions at Michael Penix's disposable and at disposal. And that also means Ryan Grubb. Ryan Grubb has all these guys he can paint with, all these guys in his arsenal. Who's the guy that he goes to for the game winning touchdown? Quentin Moore. Yeah. So I'm telling you guys, there is going to be someone tonight in that arsenal that we haven't talked about because is anyone going to be surprised if Roma Dunze gets his yards? Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, or even or even a Jack Westover? Who who is going to be surprised if Dylan Josh Quavis Hunt gets his yards? Yeah. yeah. Could it be a Josh Cuevas? 
Yeah. Could it be Devin Culp coming back on the scene and having a couple big stabs like he's had all yeah. year long, but it hasn't necessarily been like a real consistent thing? Could it be another one of the running backs? Could it be Will Nixon? Could it be a Sam Adams? Could it be could could Richard Nix or Richard Newton rise from the dead and have a, a a couple of huge plays to salt the game away maybe at the end when they need a big bruise and running back to get a first down? Could and Daniel not have a kick? Could Daniel not have a kick return because he's been pretty effective back there? Yeah. So what I'm saying is is that Ryan Grubb. I'm not saying that this is necessarily his mo. But he and this really all stems from Kalen DeBoer and just the trust and the brotherhood that they have in in this whole team and their preparation. They feel like anybody they use can make a big play at any time. And they prove that in the Big 12 championship game by calling Quentin Moore's number. And he came up and delivered. So really, at this point, who's going to be that guy? Because I think there could be another one of those types of guys that makes a huge play when it matters today. And Scott, the reason I brought up Dylan Johnson out of the backfield, Dylan Johnson had more career receptions at the beginning of the year than Romo Dunsey and uh, Jalen McMillan. He had more catches than any of those guys. Yeah, yeah, I know. You mean heading into the season? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and that that kind of shocked a lot of people. But he also was in the air, an air raid offense, too. So, it just shows that he can catch the yeah. ball. That's oh, why. no, absolutely. Absolutely shows that he can catch the ball. And um, but Washington hasn't needed him for that. They've needed him to be healthy to run the ball. And that's what they've used him for. And so, um, you know, he did have a nice little outlet pass that um, on a when Michael was looking for for somebody um, when he was under pressure against Oregon and nice little outlet pass. But he's not a he is not a primary receiver in Washington's offense this year, which, like you said, Kim, a lot of us thought he would see a lot more passes. Yeah, and that's why I think we could see some of these swing passes, you know, where the passes to the into the backfield to Jeremy Bernard, Romu Dunsey, where it, they're basically runs and getting those defensive linemen running sideline to sideline. Kim, Kim, you know what yeah. you're telegraph you're telegraphing this right now. You know the play they're going to run tonight based on this whole conversation that we've had about Dylan Johnson, right? You know what's coming. The fumble Ruski? No, double pass. <laughs> Yeah. You talk about him catching the ball. Well, obviously, the play off of that is to throw the ball. Well, what, that's what one, he's going to do. One of my favorite uh, plays from the um, Pac-12 championship game was where he uh, he hands it off to Dylan. I'm pretty sure he handed it off to Dylan Johnson, who then handed it off to Romo Dunze, who then pitched it back to um, Michael Penix, and then he threw it to uh, Romo Dunze. I mean, yeah, it, it was, was like a or, flea flicker screen, yeah, but but it was yeah, it, was, it ended up being a screen, and he had a ton of of beef out in front of him. All the entire offensive line was right in front of him, and he ended up getting a first down, but he only got like eleven or twelve yards, and it looked like he could have gone all the way. Um, that's a play that I would love to see them run again, and this time execute it just a little bit better. Hey Scott, do you remember the first play in the Alamo Bowl for Washington on offense last year? Yes, it was a flea flicker to Jordan or uh, Jalen Polk. How long is it going to take for us to see a trick play? Because I can promise you there's going first, to be. First, I, I think it'll happen on the first drive. I think it'll well, happen on the first drive. Guys, let's also remember the, the kind of stuff that uh, if um, – who was the offensive coordinator in the 2016 Peach Bowl? Was that Hamden? Uh, no, 16 was, Jonathan was, Smith? was Jonathan Smith. Okay, so if it was Jonathan Smith, think about the drive that Washington did against Alabama when they scored on that first or second drive, whatever it was, very early first quarter drive. They basically threw almost every 
trick play that they had in their arsenal to try to get down the field. I'm not saying that's what Washington's going to do tonight against Texas, because first of all, I think this Washington offense is just a lot more aligned, and I think they match up better with this Texas defense. That said, it, 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 it is kind of a symbolic of Grubb. I mean, he kind of uses it. It's, again, not his M.O., but he does like to put his uh, imprint on things early in terms of kind of getting the defense off balance. To having them look one way and seeing something else entirely. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Two more questions for each of you. Just uh, Chris Vetters, what does Washington have to do to win this game? Well, I, man, that's I mean, that's just that's the question, right? It's a, it's a loaded one, but that is the question. And I think really when it comes down to it, everyone's talked about how well matched these two teams are. They, everyone thinks it's going to be a shootout. But yet, if you look at the numbers, Washington is the only defense that's really given up a ton of points. I mean, Texas has really only given up 30 points, I think, a few times this year. And they haven't given up 40. They haven't even, I think, 34, the Oklahoma game, 34 is the most they've given up all year. So if Washington does explode for 40 plus points, it'll be something that Texas has not done all year long, which I'm not saying it's not possible. It certainly is possible. But I wouldn't necessarily bank on it. So I would, again, assume that this is going to be another tight game for Washington. It'll be the 10th one in a row that would probably be um, figured out and and have a result that's in single digits. Right. And they're going to have to take this all the way to the fourth quarter, guys, which means they've got to play field position. They can't turn the ball over. They've got to find some balance on offense with Dylan Johnson running the ball and then Penix having a better game against Texas this year than he did last year. And what's it? He, he didn't have a great game in the Alamo Bowl. He found a way to win, but he did not have a great game. And I'm sure that's something that he thinks about. And if Washington loses this game, what's going to be the issue? What's going to be the thing that they just couldn't accomplish other than the scoreboard? Short fields, turning the ball over, some things that are just, you know, when you, you basically you, they didn't win the game, you lost the game, those types of things that happen. And and frankly, Texas hitting them in the mouth early and Washington not being able to recover, because I think one thing that we know about this Washington team, guys, and I think it's absolutely unquestioned, is that they will fight till the end regardless. I don't care if you're up three scores, down three scores. It doesn't matter. These guys are too experienced and they and, and they've been coached too well to just 
throw in the towel when things get rough because that they things have been rough for them all year long and they've bounced back every single time. But I do think it goes back to the coin toss, Kim. It goes back to the coin toss. If Texas wins the coin toss and they take the ball and they score and they force a three and out, maybe they score again and it's 14 nothing in the middle of the first quarter. You know, can Washington come back from something like that? I don't know. I mean, this is this is a different animal. I mean, no matter what happens, they have not really faced that kind of adversity this year. They've they faced some, but they haven't faced adversity quite like that. And Scott, if Washington loses this game, why do they lose this game? If they lose this game, it's because the defense couldn't get off the field. That that's really the thing. It's going to be can't. It's really going to come down to possessions. And if Washington can get, I don't know what are they. You know, I should have looked this up, but what they've averaged per you know for possessions per game, I'm going to guess it's somewhere in the eight to ten range, somewhere around there. If Washington get, if they're allowed. If Texas is allowed to run the ball and continue just pounding the ball on Washington and keep the ball away from Washington, and if you know Texas has a 38 to 22 uh, lead on Washington when it comes to time of possession, I just I think that's really going to be what what costs Washington this game. I'm not saying this is going to be an easy game for Washington offensively or anything like that, but I think Washington. I will be surprised if Washington scores less than 30 points in this game. And if they score less than 30 points in this game, I think Texas is going to end up winning it. But I think really when it comes down to it, if Washington is able to get off the field on third downs, Kim, like you said, if they're able to get Texas into those long, you know, behind the sticks where they're, you know, third and seven, third and eight, whatever it is, if they're able to do that, I think Washington's going to have a lot better chance to win this game than they would if they didn't do that. And if they win this game, you know, what's going to what's the big thing that's going to cause them to win this? Well, game? scoring more points. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the, I mean, really, it's going to come down to Michael Penix executing um, the offensive line, keeping Michael Penix up. I think there's there's a lot of opportunities for Washington to make some big plays in this game. Um, I love Pete Kwiatkowski. I love what he does as a defensive coordinator. But Washington. um you know, I think has the ability to to make some big plays on this defense, and and there if there's anything that's tough on the, these guys, it's their it's their secondary. Their their front seven is really good. Their secondary is mediocre, in my opinion, and I think Washington can make some plays, especially when Washington has arguably the best wide receiver group in the entire country. And and if they can make if they can keep Michael Penix up and not not you know give him a clean pocket where he doesn't have guys around his legs or guys hitting his arm or hitting him as he's as he's making a as he's making a throw if they can do that i think that washington's going to score 35 40 points and if that happens i think washington wins this game yeah i think the the key again like you said that third down when they've got you know the chunk yards where it's third and eight and they're able to run the ball seven yards and get a fourth and one and then convert a fourth and one i think the key to washington winning this game is to the defense to be able to get some stops on third down but not only get the stop on third down but when they get the ball back on that third down and convert those into points and get that momentum uh going on their side um i think washington is a much better team um i think texas playing from behind might be a little bit of an issue for them and it's going to get them out of their game plan a little bit so if washington can get those extra possessions by getting those third down stops i think it's going to be key and if washington wins this game i'm telling you guys right now why you know 
how they're going to win this game? I don't think we know. They just seem to find a way to win every time. And it's been, you know, we've had, I've had two or three games this year where I didn't think they were going to win the game. We're getting down to the fourth quarter, and I think the game is lost. And they just pull that rabbit out of the hat, and they find a way. And as Coach DeBoer says, they're built for this, and they just seem to find a way. So uh, I think it's going to be like reading a book, and you get to that final chapter in the fourth quarter, and you think they're going to pull it out. You think they're going to pull it out, and it looks like it's not going to happen. And by the time you get to the that last page, they pulled something out. And I, I, th- I, I can see Washington doing that again uh, today. So that's what makes this game so much fun, especially this year. So yeah. and, just to, and just to add some context to that third down discussion you guys just had, Washington has a top 10 third down conversion offense, and they're converting at about a 48% rate. Texas, number two in the country in third down defense, around 26%. That'll, yeah. that, that could be the difference right there, as you guys mentioned. Yeah, it'll be key. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Chris Fetters, final thoughts? Yeah, I'm just like, super excited today. I mean, it, it it doesn't feel like it's like it ever was going to come. And I'm sure, <laughs> Kim, you being down in New Orleans probably really felt it was never going to come. It felt like it was probably just work, 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 work. And what's the end product? Well, today's the end product. Today we get to see uh, who uh, who gets to play for the national championship. and. Couldn't be more excited to see what happens with these guys. And, uh, you know, bottom line is they've earned this. I mean, they've absolutely earned the right. I mean, everyone looked at that Georgia-Florida State game, and, boy, in hindsight, it certainly looks like, you know, <laughs> it's hard to take that thing in a nutshell, but just just on its own. But um, in terms of being unbeaten in a power conference, winning your your championship, beating the top team in your conference that everyone expected you to lose to twice, um, absolutely have earned this right to play this game tonight. And uh, it's just ironic that they're playing the team they, they beat in the bowl game last year. And uh, so you just got to go out and do it again. So I think it's going to be fantastic to watch um, two great match teams. I think a lot has been obviously spilled in terms of the ink on this game, but couldn't be more excited and uh, thrilled to see what happens. Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Echo a lot of what Chris says. I, I just think it's going to come down to um... – you know, Washington making plays when they have the opportunity on both sides of the ball. It's really going to be. I think these teams are very evenly matched. That's one great thing about this college football playoff that a lot of people have talked about. I'm not coming up with anything new, but I don't think there is a team in this college football playoff that people don't think could win the title. And uh, this is very evenly matched, not just between Washington and, and Texas, but Texas, or I'm sorry, Alabama and Michigan as well. I, I'm just having fun. This is just, you know, I'm like a, you know, pig and poop, you know, I mean, just enjoying watching, watching this, this team. Um, You know, I was a student at the university of Washington in 1991. We expected that team to be really great and be an elite team and possibly win a national title. I don't think any of us, I think all of us thought that Washington had the chance to be a uh, PAC 12 championship team, but I don't think any of us saw them being the number two rated team in the country, 13 and 0 at this point. Just all the different things that they are. And and I just I'm really, really surprised um that that we are where we are. And and I think Husky fans really need to enjoy this. It has been thirty, what, thirty-two years since Washington has been in this in this uh position. And uh enjoy this because it might not happen again for another thirty years. We just don't know. 
Yeah, it's uh, a win or lose. It's been a magical season, and it's going to be one that Husky fans shouldn't forget. And whether they win or lose this game, I hope Husky fans can remain humble in the win going in against the winner of Michigan-Alabama. And I hope we don't see um, the toxicity that we have seen at points this year because this has been truly a magical season and one that we're all going to remember. The thing that's kind of making me crazy, and I know it's making the team crazy, is Boy, the Rose Bowl would have started at two o'clock, but now we we don't start till late. So these guys sitting around the hotel all day long, I'm guessing that they're uh, I'd much rather have that earlier game than the later game. But that just seems to what the Pac-12 does. They get the late games uh, for everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and guys, there's also the hockey game today. Yeah. 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 So we got the Kraken playing at at at, um, at T-Mobile today. Yeah. So that there's all sorts of stuff going on as far as if you're a Seattle sports yeah. fan. You you've got you're going to be right in front of the right in front of the TV basically all day long. One thing I did want to add real quick, Kim, and and we talked a little bit about this off air, and I don't know if I should be tempting fate with this because you mentioned that if Washington wins, being humble and playing the winner of the of the of the Rose Bowl between Michigan and Alabama, who who do you guys who do you guys want to see in that game? If Washington makes it to Houston, who do you want to who do you want to see? I want I want to see I would much rather see Michigan than Alabama. I'd rather see, I'd rather see Michigan because Washington has them on the schedule and boy that would be a game to be circled next yes, year. Yes, it would. It would. I just my my big thing is um you know the the quarterback from Alabama. I I just I think he would cause Washington a lot of problems with his mobility. Washington's always struggled with with quarterbacks with mobility. Granted, they they hemmed in Caleb Williams, who is probably even more dynamic of a, a runner than Jalen Milrow, but. Um, I just I don't want anything any part of an Alabama team that's playing well down the stretch. I'd much rather see Michigan, who has a lot of playmakers and a lot of toughness, but they also might not have their coach and that could be distraction. Yeah. And a big shout out to you guys. I know that, you know, me with my ADD and being able to multitask and do 10 things at once. I know I've been feeding you guys so much content and you guys have crushed it this week. And I know it hasn't been easy. It's just been like drinking water through a fire hose. I don't think there's been a week where we've produced as much content as we have this week. And uh, I know you guys have just been crushing it. And I've been running pretty hard down here. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it, but there's a lot going on down here. So um, I I got a little bit of playtime last night. Um, you know, been out to a couple of really good dinners, but I've been pretty much going, going, going. You can probably hear it a little bit in my voice. In your voice. Yeah, definitely. No, I've been going. So and then, uh, you know, if Washington wins tonight, boy, I got some decisions to make. Do I get on the plane and head back to Seattle or do I head back to Houston, you know, right away? So I've got some decisions to make depending on the outcome of this game. So pray for me. So let's hope that decision has to be made. Yeah, so it might get kind of wild, but you know, I'm just the king of winging it. I always make it work out. So, well, we we can talk about it a little later tonight in the post game podcast. Yeah, what I'm gonna do. So I might be multitasking with flights a little bit later tonight. So, anyways, hey, just thanks to you guys. I appreciate you, and I'm sure all the Husky fans that are listening to the podcast uh, trust you as well, as well as our interns, intern Josh. Uh, former intern Jack McCauley, former intern Luke Munger, who helped us out quite a bit. So, you know, just big thanks to everybody involved in dogman.com in front of the scenes, behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, just the loyal subscribers, because we've got we've got so many subscribers that have been here for 20 years. So it's pretty awesome. So, hey, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells, along with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund. Go dogs. <laughs>
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.